At this point, every information portal is saturated with mindfulness content. But this show is a unique, unusual, curious take on mindfulness. Some of what you hear will be completely new to you. Let's dive in and take a look at the nature of the aware mind. I invite you to deepen your awareness so that you may be liberated and inspired. We are here with Sarah Vallely, mindfulness teacher, coach, and author. Sarah has been teaching meditation and mindfulness for the past two decades, training and certifying others to teach mindfulness. Sarah is the author of four books. Her latest book is titled Tame, Soothe, Dwell, The 55 Teachings of TSD Mindfulness. On today's episode, we discuss anger, specifically anger in the context of romantic relationships, and we discuss Sarah's process she uses to help people reduce anger in the context of romantic relationships, which is her care process. I'm Jacob Drossett. We are here with Sarah Vallely. Sarah, how are you? I'm great, Jacob. Thank you. Hey, I want to give a big shout out to new listeners. We had a big jump in listeners the last week or so. We've got our new listeners in Toronto. I've been doing some promotion in different cities and the people in Toronto are really responding. And I think maybe the people in Toronto are thinking we need a good mindfulness podcast to listen to. So that's awesome. We've got a good amount of listeners in DC area in Boston. Thank you so much. And scattered across the country, the West Coast. And a big shout out to our Asheville listeners. That's where we record our podcast. Big thanks to our loyal Asheville crowd. Today, we're going to be talking about anger in relationships. Not having emotions is not helpful in a relationship, but being able to experience your emotions in a healthy way is what is good for a relationship. And mindfulness can play a huge part here because mindfulness allows us to experience our emotions in a healthy way. For example, we are more aware of our emotions. Sometimes people are kind of numb to their own emotions or they are suppressing them to some degree. Mindfulness helps us be able to tolerate our emotions. For example, some of us, we get triggered, we go into emotion and we get triggered into fight or flight, but mindfulness can help us process through that emotion without going into fight or flight and having explosive episodes or uncomfortable emotional episodes. Mindfulness helps us be more aware of the thoughts associated with our emotions, which can be a huge game changer. Mindfulness can also help us become aware of what experts call blends of emotions. For example, a primary emotion of hurt is masked by a secondary emotion of anger. So that would be a blend, the hurt and the anger blend. And when we're in conflict, being mindful of how we are blending these emotions is really key. I refer to it as heart emotions and these secondary emotions would be mental emotions because there's so much logic and thinking that's wrapped up in these secondary emotions. But we can't say that we can't get angry because it's human. Anger is a, a human emotion. It's a natural response in a lot of situations. From an evolutionary perspective, the purpose of anger is to push a person to take an action to survive physically. Same thing for rumination. We've evolved to ruminate to keep us safe. We've evolved to have negative bias to keep us safe. We've been evolved to experience anger. One way to look at it is 
that it's possible that our society has evolved faster than our brain has been able to keep up with it. So we're using a brain that's designed for a thousand years ago, maybe. We can use mindfulness to overcome this lapse in evolution in our in our brain. When you said some of our thinking is like a thousand years old, I've, sometimes I feel like my thinking is 10,000 years old. <laughs> your, your brain is 10,000 years old. You're operating on a 10,000 year old designed brain. <laughs> yeah. Like the first human, you know, like, what was it called? I have like an early hominid brain. It just never, it never went into the, uh, the next level of evolution. I don't yeah. think that's true, but, but that joke, that joke expe- accepted. <laughs> the problem with anger is it is usually devaluing. We are either devaluing ourselves or we're often devaluing another person through our anger. And that's where anger becomes destructive, difficult, hurtful. Devaluing is thinking or saying something that insinuates that the other person is lesser of a person or that we are lesser of a person because of what happened. And that's really important to think about the way it's perceived, the way it's interpreted, the insinuation of it, because we might not consciously think that this person is lesser of a person, but what we say might reflect that. A devaluing statement might be, I would never do that. That could be interpreted as devaluing. It might be interpreted as there must be something wrong with you because you did that, right? Another devaluing statement could be, I can't believe you did that. Same idea. That could be interpreted as there must be something wrong with you because you did that. Are you kidding me? That can also be interpreted in that way. Whatever, that could be interpreted as what you are saying or doing has no value to me. That's hard. It's none of your business. That could be interpreted as I don't value enough to share this with you. I'm done talking about this. That could be devaluing because it could be interpreted as I don't value enough to continue this conversation. The silent treatment, removing yourself from the situation can also be interpreted as devaluing for that same reason that I don't value enough to continue this conversation. And I know that's a fine line because some of us, we need to separate ourselves to process through our anger. And I totally support that. It's just in those situations to avoid that coming across as I don't value enough to continue this conversation, to address that and say, I do value you. I do value our relationship. I just need this time to process through my emotions on on my own. Be careful of cliche statements. A lot of the statements that we say in anger are often cliches. That's a boundary that you can set with yourself. Maybe that's a boundary that you can talk to your partner about to set is when we get angry, let's stay away from cliche statements. Let's say it in our own words. Maybe it'll come across better. Maybe it'll give us pause to reflect on what we're saying. As you're talking, I'm just thinking back through the process that I went through. So when I met my wife and then I really felt like for the first time in my life, I'm in a mutual, respected, mature relationship. But with that being said, a lot of your stuff is going to come up basically, right? A lot of your conditioning and things. We had to learn how to argue with one another, which sounds silly to somebody. I ended up going to therapy and then read a few different books and that was kind of my process and then meditating a lot. 
And it's still an ongoing thing. And I still have to go back and reread books. I need to go back and listen to Nonviolent Communication again, which by the way, that book was absolutely pivotal. But when I first went to therapy, one of the first things I had to work on was just how to even identify my emotions. Because the only emotion I knew I had was anger and maybe sadness and happiness. There was a lot of subtlety there that I had no awareness of whatsoever of like, I'm feeling confused or conflicted or I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling shame, I'm feeling regret. I didn't have any of those subtle emotions. And that is a language. Literally, it was like I was speaking a new language. My wife's amazing. And she recognized like, okay, he's really trying to get out what he's feeling specifically right now. But that was a very intense, I felt like a little kid. It was very intimidating. But that that was very helpful once I started to get better at communicating what I was feeling specifically. When we were having a conversation, I could meet myself where I was and not be like, I'm so mad at myself for not being able to handle this better right now. That was a big thing that I did is you should be able to handle this better. Why aren't you? And then that made more aggression towards her. We shared the same therapist. So he was very good about pointing out things about her experience growing up and how that could be playing into her style of arguing. So she needed space. I grew up in like a, it's like once the family gets in the fire, we stay here till it cools down. We do not leave. We stay with this argument until it is done. And she came from a family of go get some space and then come back. We're going to talk about this later. Piece that he gave me though was giving me a lot of backstory about her way of arguing that provided a lot of compassion for her in those moments. So it sounds like A good tip based on your experience is when things are calm to have discussions about, you know, why do you argue in the way that you do? Is it because of your family dynamics in your past? Is it because of past trauma? Is it because of your belief systems? Why is it that you argue in the way that you do? And I think that when you have those discussions in a calm state, then when the arguments come up, then you do, you have the understanding, compassion for the other person for why they are reacting the way they are. Yeah, I think that's great. My definition of compassion is different than the normal definition. But my definition of compassion is not wanting to devalue yourself in your thinking and not wanting somebody else to feel devalued. When we come to the situation with that mindset, it completely changes the way that we're going to approach the situation, whether it's a homeless person on the street, we approach that person and think, you know, I don't want this person to feel lesser of a person because of their circumstances, because they are standing out here asking for money. What can I do to help that person feel valued? Maybe eye contact, maybe a short conversation. It doesn't always have to be money. And then when you are in a relationship with someone and stuff comes up, always pulling yourself back to, I don't want to get my point across in a way where the other person is going to feel devalued. So that's a really great way to bring compassion into the relationship. Can we be angry without devaluing? Is that possible? For me, it was all about learning to communicate clearly and say things like, I'm experiencing anger right now. I'm having anger because of this thing. The I statements are probably one of the most common ways that we can learn how to express our anger without being devaluing. But the problem with that is that only works if you're with someone who can process and understand I statements. Some people they struggle with that. It doesn't really register. It doesn't bring the conversation to a better place. If you can 
help somebody else identify their feelings and needs. You can actually help them get to the bottom of what they're saying. If they say something like, I am pissed at you. Okay, well, well, why are you pissed? What's happening? Well, because you didn't do the thing that I asked. Okay, so you you wanted me to do the thing that you asked me to do, and I, and I forgot it. Yes. So you have a need for me to hear you and then do the thing that you asked me to do in a timely manner, and I did not do that. Correct. You did not do what I asked you to do. Well, I forgot. You could dig down and then hear that what the other person is really saying. Now, I realize that you have a need to feel like you're important in my life, that that I actually listen when you say something and it doesn't just fly past my head. What you're talking about is a perfect example of being aware of these blended emotions. So we have this secondary emotion of anger because the other person isn't doing what was asked. And then you have this primary emotion of feeling maybe insignificant, not important type feeling. And so that's that primary emotion. And that's why it's so helpful in relationships to get to that primary emotion, because that's really what it's about. And when you can come to understanding on that level, it's going to be so much more effective, which is what you're sharing. Going back to what I was saying about the problem with the I statements is you need to be with somebody who can process that kind of language. When I was married, that was a problem because I would use that type of language. I would come at things in a calm manner, but nothing was being changed. Nothing was coming out of it, but he did respond to anger. It got to the point where I was consciously getting angry. that can be a drawback. Another drawback is logic. We all have our own logic. Logic is unique. And so our logic can conflict with someone else's logic. Some couples have similar logic because maybe they have the same religion or they share the same code of ethics. Maybe they were brought up in a similar upbringing, but I wouldn't say that this is the norm. For the most part, couples come together with very different beliefs about about what should happen. So logic is, if this happens, then this should happen. Or if this happens, then this shouldn't happen. It's very conditional. When you have two people who are angry and they're operating on conflicting logic, you're never going to solve the situation because your logic just doesn't match up. There's real no way to overcome it unless somebody's willing to change their logic. Can you give an example of that? Sure. Let's go with your example. Okay. So you have someone who is asking their partner to do a chore such as the dishes and you've asked them repeatedly to do it and the person isn't coming through. The one person's logic who is asking, reminding the person to do the chore, the logic is if your spouse asks you to do something around the house, then you do it in a matter of 12 hours. That's their logic. Right. And the other person's logic is if spouse is asked to do something around the house, I have about three or four days to get to that. And if I have a very long list of things I need to do for my job, then I actually get excused from that chore. So different logic. It's, it's conflicting. So if you're both in an anger place, then you're not going to be able to get through it because your logic is gridlocked. You're stuck. So the remedy for that is bringing yourself out of the logic place. Anger operates on logic. The reason you got angry was because of the logic. More into the the heart level of that, which is 
This person feels like I'm not prioritized. I'm not important in the other person's life. That's not based on logic. That's just something of the heart that could be based on past trauma, that could be based on just human genuine emotions. When you're both in that place with those deep human genuine emotions, then you're not operating in logic anymore. You're operating in true genuine feelings. And so you transcend the whole conflict of logic. Okay. I need to hear that in a way that's like, what are the steps that we're going to take? Here is a process that couples can use to move through this, all this stuff that we're talking about. And I call it CARE. It's an acronym, C-A-R-E. And this is how you can show care for yourself. And it's also how you can show care for your partner during conflict. First, I'll go through it with the perspective of doing this for yourself. So the C stands for checking in. You take a moment to check in. What is this about? What emotions are coming up here for me? How am I feeling? What's on my mind? The A stands for awareness. Awareness and mindfulness of devaluing thoughts that you might be thinking about yourself during this experience. And then the R stands for reflection, reflection on a deeper emotion. So that's moving from that secondary emotion to that primary emotion. So if you're feeling angry, asking yourself, what's underneath this? Oh, I'm feeling misunderstood. Or it might be I'm feeling crushed or I feel let down or I'm feeling powerless. Getting to that deeper emotion there. I have a tool that I will post on the blog post for this episode that separates these emotions. So the third page of that tool lists the emotions that are the deeper emotions. So you would print that out when you're feeling angry, upset, frustrated, blaming, resentful, then turn to that third page and ask yourself, which one of these emotions is this really about? That's a really fast way to do that reflection. And then the E stands for empathy or validation. And that is validating yourself for that feeling that you're feeling. So if it is misunderstood, taking a moment to say to yourself, it's understandable that I'm feeling this way because I wasn't able to get out all of that I was hoping to share with my partner. That's how you would use care for yourself. And then I can talk about how to use care in partnership while you are in conflict with your partner. See for checking in, checking in with your partner, noticing that maybe they're a little bit off, something's going on. That can be so helpful to creating that trust and that support. Then awareness, say it's gotten heated and say you're both uh, a little bit angry. Maybe we didn't even need to do checking in because maybe <laughs> both are just heated and you both know there's something going on. Awareness and mindful of what devaluing thoughts you might have about your partner that takes some real good skills and mindfulness and also being mindful of what you're speaking and how those words might be interpreted as being devaluing. This is the step where you're really focused on holding yourself accountable to not be devaluing. And then the next step, the reflection, take a moment to reflect on yourself. Maybe you grab that sheet <laughs> that's printed out and you look on there to see which deeper emotion, what is the primary emotion, then sharing that if you're in a safe space. And then the other partner does that empathy validation piece for the emotion that you've come to terms with. And empathy is there because I needed an E. 
but it doesn't have to be empathy. Empathy can be really difficult to access when you're in these heated arguments, and, and that's okay. Empathy isn't something that you can will to happen. It's something that just happens more naturally. It might happen or might not. Validation, on the other hand, is a mental process. It's of the intellect. We can will ourselves to validate the other person. And so what we do in that scenario is the person shares on deep down, I feel let down. Then their partner using this process would find some reason, can be an intellectual reason, some reason why that person might feel let down. It might not align with their own logic. In their world, someone wouldn't feel let down in this scenario, but finding a reason why this person might feel let down and expressing that to them, validating them. It doesn't even have to be the reason that that person feels let down. Your spouse is just going to feel good to know that you think that it's reasonable, that there can be reason behind it. It goes directly to your partner's inner child because that's what the inner child wants. It wants to be validated to say it's reasonable that I'm having this reaction. And that can take down the intensity quite a bit. It takes training. This isn't something that you can just hear about or maybe read a little bit about and then the next day do this. It takes training to learn how to become aware of your devaluing thoughts toward yourself and your devaluing words during an anger episode. The reflection part takes training. That one's a little bit easier. If you print out the tool and you look at the deeper emotions, that is something to some degree you could do on your own, but it does help to have training. The validation part takes training. I spend quite a bit of time with my clients teaching them how to validate themselves for their emotional experience and how to validate their partners for their emotional experience. This is not a natural process. I really need to work with clients to learn how to do this. It can be such a struggle, especially for men and no fault to the men. It's just the culture has created it that it's not reasonable for men to have these emotions. It's really hard sometimes with my male clients to get them to a place where they can say to themselves, it's understandable that I'm feeling let down. It's understandable that I'm feeling crushed, but so healing. So this process that I shared care, it's not a be all end all solve all the problems. What it is, is it brings everything down to a lower intensity. So you can get to a place where you feel safe with each other. So then you can work it out. Have you ever heard of DBT? you're much more aware of the conversation going on in your head. And then, yeah, it's very, very, very similar to what you were just mentioning from, from just first listen. When I work with couples, I work with each person individually for four sessions before I will meet with them together because I need them to be able to do this care process with themselves first. And then once they're together, then I'm coaching them to be able to validate one another, to be able to become aware of what they're speaking and how that might be come across as devaluing and so forth. Yeah. So if anybody out there wants to send their spouse or partner over to me, I can, I can get them on board. <laughs> I had a really difficult time finding research about anger and mindfulness. And I'm wondering if maybe this is because it's hard to simulate the anger episode to do research on it. I don't know. There were a lot of studies published that correlate mindfulness with less anger, uh, tons of those, but 
not that many to show how mindfulness can reduce our anger. But I did find a couple studies that were interesting for maybe other reasons. One, they took psychiatric patients in a residential facility and they had them use the Headspace app for one week. These are some pretty amazing outcomes. After that one week, 92% of the patients reported that the app helped them reduce their anxiety. 75% of the psychiatric patients reported that the app helped them be more focused. And 67 reported that the app helped them manage their symptoms, including anger. So that's the anger piece. So I'm warming up to the whole app thing. I know we did an episode early on. I was kind of anti-mindfulness apps, but I guess they're pretty helpful to people. This other study, what they did is they taught first responders mindfulness. The first responders participated in a two and a half day silent retreat. And then 30 days later, they had one more mindfulness training session. What they taught them was awareness of breath, concentration, labeling thoughts, body scan, mindful movement and compassion, you know, the the gamut of, of mindfulness. They checked in directly after the retreat 30 days later and then 90 days after the retreat. And their anger reduced by 15%. Their emotional regulation increased by 8%. And their mindfulness only increased by 3.5%. These aren't great results, but the reason I think this is interesting is because I think it was the format. This whole thing of doing an immersion training and then just one more follow-up. I don't think that this is the most effective way to teach a group of people mindfulness. Most of the other studies that we've talked about are based on eight weeks of mindfulness training. So every week for eight weeks, they are learning mindfulness. I think this is a much more effective way. You're going to get better results with these weekly sessions. Yeah, funny enough, it's the same thing with strength training. The best way to strength train is like bar none is to do it throughout your day. And that's totally unfeasible for most people, but it's a concept called grease the groove. It's also the best way to learn things. So do it throughout your day. Often exposure frequency is really the most important thing. Yeah. I mean, that's how it works with my clients. They're doing these five minute exercises at least once a day. And that's the key to the whole process. Which is why I think that apps have gotten so popular and they help a lot of people is because there's just the readily availableness of it. Like if I can't sit and meditate in the morning for whatever reason, I could throw my app on while I drive around and it's still, it's something, you know what I mean? And, and that was crucial for me. Also to listen to podcasts and people talking about it. It's, it's equally as impactful to just be driving around and listen to people talk about mindfulness. The Aware Mind Podcast is a TSD Mindfulness production. Please visit our website at tsdmind.org. That is T as in tame, S as in soothe, and D as in dwell. Mind as in mindfulness.org. Check out our blog post for this episode with links to supplemental information such as worksheets you can use to put into practice the mindfulness skills shared in this episode. Also, please sign up for our newsletter and receive mindfulness tips. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at aware underscore mind underscore podcast. Thank you.